This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, A Troubling Spirit, and it comes from 1 Samuel 16, 14 through 23. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone, or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense of providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Also, you can catch us over on iTunes. Go over there to the podcast section and search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. So today we pick back up in 1 Samuel 16. And we saw last week where we made a pivotal time change in the history of the nation of Israel. It was a transition from the first king, and that was Saul, to the second king, who is going to be David, at least in terms of God's selection. See, King Saul had disobeyed God more than one time. So God chose to replace him with David. Now that didn't happen immediately. Because we know that David didn't succeed Saul for about another 15 to 20 years after he was anointed by Samuel. And through that time, that 15 to 20 years, he was being perfected by God, preparing him to be the king that he was supposed to be. Now, King David's life can be broken into three seasons. There was the shepherd season that we saw that they pulled him out of the field when he was anointed. He was a shepherd. There's the warrior season that we're going to see. And then there's the king season. The other interesting fact about David is he is the most mentioned person in the Bible. He also has 66 chapters that are devoted to him, including 59 references about him in the New Testament. A quick summary of 1 Samuel, the first 13 verses. In verse 1, we saw that God came to Samuel and he said, How long are you going to mourn for Saul? Fill your horn. I have someone I want you to go and anoint. I want you to go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. I pointed out when Samuel arrived, the whole town was all stirred up over it. They recognized him as the prophet. And they were stirred up because a prophet normally didn't come into a town with good news. But Samuel put them at ease when he said, I've come to do a sacrifice. Cleanse yourself and come uh, participate with the sacrifice with me. And then we got to the part where he went to Jesse and he said, bring your boys before me. And so Jesse brought seven of his eight sons, the oldest to the youngest, and they walked before Samuel interesting thing to me was that Samuel had no idea who would be the next king, only that God had told him that he would let him know when he walked in front of him. 
So Elib, the oldest son, and apparently he was tall and he was good looking because Samuel thought to himself, surely this is the Lord's anointing standing here before the Lord. But we saw in 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Bible tells us then Abinadab walked in front of him, and again he said that he had rejected him. The third son in line walked in front of him, Shammah, but the Bible tells us that the Lord has not chosen this one either. So Jesse sends all of his sons that he's brought, the first seven sons, and not a one. Not a single one was chosen by God. But we saw the faithfulness of Samuel, and he said, Jesse, is this all your sons? Because the Lord has told me there's one here. And Jesse responded and said, no, our youngest is out watching the sheep. He said, bring him to me. And as he walked in front of Samuel, God said, this is the one. Now, the Bible tells us that he was handsome. He was fine in appearance. He was probably fair-skinned. He had a ruddy complexion. That means a red complexion or a red hair color. And he probably had blue eyes because that was very uncommon in Israel those days. So the last thing we looked at as we get ready to kick off this lesson was verse 7 and about how the Lord doesn't look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What qualified David to be king was nothing eternal about him. He was just 12 to 15 years old. He was a young boy. He had no experience. He was not like Saul when he was selected. But God saw the inside. He had a heart after God. He had a heart for God. And we dove into that. What does it mean to have a heart for God? What that means is that your heart is your thoughts and your motives, the inward part of you, the private you, what you do when no one is looking. If you were to flip over to Mark 7, 21 through 22, it says, For from within, out of man's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Proverbs 4.23, written by Solomon, David's son, says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. If you want to be as David was described by God, a man after God's own heart, if you want to be a person after God's own heart, then you will guard that heart. It is the inside. It's what you do when no one's looking. Well, today I want to look at a troublesome spirit. In our life, a lot of people walk around with a troublesome spirit. Yeah, I remember growing up and seeing the commercial that went plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Some of you will remember that commercial, and it was about Alka-Seltzer. You know, they said, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. Take two Alka-Seltzers and call me in the morning is what the slogan would also say. Alka-Seltzer would neutralize all the acid in your stomach that had churned out of what you ate. Your upset stomach and your headache would go away when Alka-Seltzer would get in there and help change the chemical imbalance. Alka-Seltzer might have been great for finding relief for your stomach, but where do you turn to to find relief in your life? When you have a troublesome spirit, when something is bothering you, when life is hard and you're in distress, where do you find relief? Unfortunately, many people seek relief in the wrong places. They look for relief in pills or in a bottle or maybe some video game or shopping or sex or watching through TV and movies. I read a statistic just recently that one out of every four people in the U.S. is on some type of antidepressant under something to help them with their troublesome spirit. 
Now, before I get myself in trouble, let me just say that God created man and he gave us a brain and he gave us the ability to learn. And there's nothing wrong with going to doctors and getting help. But what I will tell you is that for the normal stresses of life, it is not the pill that we should look for. It's not the doctor that should be helping us. It is Jesus that can give us the ultimate peace that we need to walk around, no matter what circumstance we live in. We live in a crazy world with so much trouble and distress, so many troubling spirits. So how do you deal with the stresses of life? When you are troubled, where do you turn for your relief? And that's what today's message really is all about. It's an answer that we see right here, and it's not found in pills. It's not found in some bottle. It's not found shopping or through sex or through TV or some movie. When we're in a time of trouble, when we're in a time of troubling spirit inside of us, you need to find your relief in God. God is there. God cares and God will help you. So with that said, turn with me to 1 Samuel 16. We're going to read verse 14 and I'm reading out of the ESV. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Jump back with me real quick to verse 13 because I want you to see this. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed it in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So in verse 13, we see that the Spirit of the Lord became on David, and he was with him for the rest of his life from that day forward. But we see in verse 14 that the Spirit of the Lord departed Saul. Saul had fallen out of grace with God, and there was now this separation between him and God. And so a spirit comes upon him. A harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now this troublesome spirit, the Bible tells us that it was from the Lord. So right here in verse 14, we see the troublesome spirit. I want you to note that. And then I also want to bring up the idea about how God is sovereign over everything. But it says something that doesn't make a lot of sense in that it says this evil spirit was from the Lord that tormented him. Now that doesn't sound like God. That confuses a lot of people. I don't know what you believe about God, but I will tell you that God doesn't do anything wrong or evil. That's throughout the Bible. And you're right. This doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound right. God doesn't do anything wrong or evil. Therefore, in allowing an evil spirit to distress all, What's that all about? Now, we know that God was not doing anything wrong or evil. We've already established that. Now, the word evil translate in this verse to the word that means bad or harmful. But it could also mean troubling. And the word for torment here can also mean troubled or dismayed or terrified. One commentator says it can even mean incapacitated. So what the Bible is trying to describe to us is this spirit that was over Saul and that he was so incapacitated. He was so troubled that he wouldn't leave his court. And the other thing I want you to walk away from today is that God is good. All the time, God is good, and God is good all the time. So this evil spirit is from God, but it's not of God. God didn't create evil spirits. This means that he allowed an evil spirit to torment Saul because Saul had made himself vulnerable to the works of darkness due to his disobedience, through his separation from God. He has now opened up sin into his life, and Satan will take every opportunity when you allow sin and your separation from God to attack. And that's what's happening right here. Satan is attacking. Satan wasn't created evil. He chose to be evil. 
God didn't create evil. Evil chose to be evil. God only creates good. So let me summarize this verse. What this really means is that God allowed an evil spirit to torment Saul because Saul had made himself vulnerable to the works of darkness due to his disobedience. Here's the other thing I want you to know, though. If you are a child of God, God protects you from these evil spirits. God will be the only one that knows how many times he's kept a demonic spirit from torturing you. You could say that God holds them at bay for us. But here we see that God allowed an evil spirit into his life. He didn't speak it into his life, but because of his disobedience, God allowed it. I want you to understand that God is sovereign and that God allows stuff even when we don't understand. Even when it looks bad, God allows it to happen. And there is an ultimate reason and there are times we're not going to understand why. As a matter of fact, to show you this, listen to what God said in Isaiah 45, 7. He says, I formed the light and created darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all things. God is not the author of evil. Rather, God is sovereign over evil. And that should bring us to a comfort to know that he is sovereign over it and he can control it. He allows it at times and other times he blocks it. Jesus taught on this thought of God being sovereign over everything. He said in Matthew 6, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly fathers knows that you need these things. So understand that God is sovereign and that he did allow this spirit to come into his life. And because we have the Bible, we can see that God allowed this because it was a good solution for David. It was a way for David to be trained in the king's court. Look at the good solution and how he's preparing him for service. Look at verses 15 through 20 with me. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servant, who are before you, to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servant, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man who of valor, a man of war, a prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. And therefore Saul sent a messenger to Jesse and said, Send me David your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and skins of wine and young goats and sent them by David his son to Saul. Because God is sovereign over everything, he can take something bad. He can take a lemon and make lemonade out of it. And here we see a proposed solution that we bring David, the young David, in to play music for this distressing, this troublesome spirit that Saul had. And God is going to use this time for him to learn how to operate in the king's court. We see here in the, this passage that music made him better. Music made this troublesome spirit better. It gave him relief, and it was through the music that he found this relief. And we see this in Psalms 33. It says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout to the Lord. So we see his servants say, music is what will help you. 
You know, music can have a wonderful effect on us. It can be soothing to us. It can make us emotionally connect with someone. It can help us spiritually when we're in time of worship. Most of you have probably heard the saying that music soothes a savage beast. Did you know that that phrase should have said music soothes the savage breast? Not beast, but it got changed over time. That's what it originally was in a play. And what they were trying to say is that it changes the heart. It changes the chest. It changes the spirit within. There is an entire field called music therapy. And that teaches you how the therapeutic and the wonderful way that music can benefit those that are troubled. But I want you to see the sovereignty of God in this. The person that was recommended to Saul was no other than David. Saul had no idea that David had been anointed as king and was going to replace him. So he sent for David. And David is in Bethlehem, remember, which is only about five miles from Jerusalem. And Jesse's David's father had a donkey loaded up with gifts for Saul, and he sent his son on the way. David was known for his ability to play the harp. It also says he's a brave man and he's a warrior. There are things that we can learn from this, and it's about preparing ourselves for service. First of all, you should develop your talents and your skills for God's glory. David was skilled at playing the harp. Now, David was clearly gifted from God with music or Uh, You would believe that, but he also probably had to put in work toward it. You don't become a skillful musician just by looking at your instrument. David had to work hard and develop the skills to be a musician and to be someone that would be recommended and be used for God's glory. God can use your talents and your skills to serve others, and he wants you to develop your talents and your skills for his glory to be used for his purpose. It makes me think about the parable that Jesus told of the talents. Right there in Matthew 25 and verses 20 and 21, the man who received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge over many. Jesus was saying that he used his talent. Now, that was money. It wasn't the talent we think today. Back in that word, it meant money. But he used his talents and developed it and took it and furthered for his master. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So how are you preparing to serve others? And are you using your talents that God has given you for his glory? Make sure you are preparing and you are ready to serve just like David was. Because just like we've seen here, God can take something that seems like confusing or doesn't make sense and he can be sovereign over it and put you in a position to put you in the spot where he can use your talents to minister to that person. I want you to look back at verse 19 with me real quick. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, This is what I want you to catch. Who is with the sheep? I don't know about you, but I find that interesting. Here's David, who's been anointed to be the future king of Israel. What did he do? He went back to tending sheep. He went back to work. He knew God would make things happen in his time. And he served faithfully behind the scenes while he waited on God. It's like when you're playing sports and you're not the starter. You may spend a lot of time on the bench. You know, you still keep working, you keep practicing, you keep developing your skills because you know what? One day you're going to get called up. The coach is going to call on you. Well, David is back 
tending the sheep, when suddenly he's called into the king's service. Now notice God's sovereignty, like I said here. Saul didn't know that he was inviting the future king into his palace. God is behind it all. I like what A.W. Tozer said right here. God opened the door into the palace without David having to force or even as much knock upon it. So what you should learn from this, you need to be ready for the opportunity to serve. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Be prepared in season and out of season. You never know when God is going to call you up, when he's going to take you off the bench and use you. But be like David until that time. Wait on God's timing. Don't force yourself into a situation that God really hasn't set up for you yet. So if you're sitting on the bench, how do you prepare for that service that God's going to call you up for? Well, first, you develop your talents and your skills for God. You're careful to maintain a good reputation and that you make sure that you are serving God and you're in his will, that you're following after God. And then last, be ready for the opportunity when God opens that door, when God calls you up. So we've seen Saul's troublesome spirit. We are seeing the sovereignty of God and how he's over everything and how he knew something bad to make a good situation out of it and how we need to be ready to serve. But I want you to see the last two things real quick. Serve God where needed and be God's blessing to others. Look at verse 21 and 22 with me. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armbearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. So David and Saul finally meet. And what happens? He immediately falls in love with him. The Bible says that Saul loved David. David becomes one of his armbearers. Saul is so pleased with David's service that he decides to keep him on. David's temp job becomes a full-time gig. What I want you to see is that David served well when he was tending the sheep. And David served well when he was called to be in the king's service. Proverbs 22:29 says, Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. And this is what happened to David. He was prepared. He prepared himself for service. And God promoted him to serve the king. 1 Timothy 3.13 says, Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Whether you're a deacon or whether you're just someone that goes to church, maybe you just help in Sunday school, whatever it is, serve well where God puts you. If God has put you in that position, whatever the task is, he has prepped you and you are ready to serve. So serve well and serve unto him. I'm running out of time, so let's look at this last verse. Verse 23, and whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and he played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Wherever God puts you, use that spot to be a blessing to others. That's what I want you to catch out of this verse. God put David here to be a blessing to Saul. Saul had a troublesome spirit. David was there to help calm that spirit. God is putting you in a place where you can minister to others. So be like David and be a blessing to others. You may be saying, Tim, well, I'm not any place where I can be a blessing to someone. That's not true. Proverbs 16:24 says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Never underestimate the power of kind words to refresh someone else, to make them feel better, to help them. You have no idea what kind of day they've gone through. An encouraging word can lift someone up. Paul wrote to the church at Rome in 
Romans 12, verses uh, 12 and 13. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Be generous, loving, and kind. God has blessed you. Now you channel God's blessing through you to someone around you. Paul is challenging the church in Rome to be a blessing to those around them. Pray, be patient, be faithful. Be a joyful person who brings hope. Let God pour into you so that you can channel it to others. Let nothing go to waste. In God's hand, the troubles that you've experienced become opportunities to help others that may be suffering what you went through. I've told this several times. I'll tell it again. I have a daughter that's in a wheelchair. And there's times that we've had tough conversations of why God would allow her to be born the way she was and that her that she's in that wheelchair. But I tell her time and time again that God doesn't make mistakes. God put you in that wheelchair for a reason and use that wheelchair to be a blessing to someone else. People look at her and they see her spirit that's inside, her joy, her peace, her comfort that she has in Jesus Christ. And she can be a blessing for those that aren't even in a wheelchair. And she can minister to those that won't listen to me, but will listen because she has gone through the same thing that they've gone through. Today, be a blessing, be a channel. Use what God has given you to bless someone else. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought. Learn to serve. That's what we can learn from this. God used a situation where he allowed David learn to serve. Serving doesn't come naturally to most people. So what happens? We need to learn how to serve. Because what we do know naturally is how for someone to serve us instead of us serving someone else. But if you go throughout the Bible, you'll see a constant theme that we are to be servants. And who was the best example in the Bible of this for us? It was Jesus. Jesus has set the standard as our example. One example of Jesus' servant attitude is found in John 13 when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Jesus tells us that serving is only second to loving others. I remember going through a men's Bible study and someone there sharing about how they wanted to lead. And I told them, if you want to lead, then you need to learn to serve. Paul challenged the church at Galatia with this. In Galatians 5.13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We are to serve one another, and it doesn't come natural. We have to learn how to do it. And God used an opportunity to put David in a place so he would be a serving king. If you want to be like David, if you want to have a heart after God, then you have to learn to serve others. Serving others prepares us and it allows God to equip us for our ultimate purpose. If you're in a season of preparation right now, like David was tending the sheep, don't worry. Use it to serve others. Don't rush it and wait on the Lord. So today, where are you? Are you serving in your church? Are you helping others? Maybe that looks like going to a nursing home and helping. I don't know what it looks like for you, but God is knocking on your heart right now and he's telling you, go serve others. Be my hands and feet. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for 1 Samuel 16. You know, it's a, a chapter where we see that you move from one king to the other king. We see there's some troublesome spirit that is allowed because of sin into Saul's life. 
But we see that you are ultimately sovereign over it. How you can use a situation that seems bad and make something good out of it. How you can prepare a young boy that's 12 to 15 years old and he comes and he sues that person. He plays his music and he sues the soul. He serves where you put him. Lord, I pray right now that you're knocking on hearts. I know you are. There are people listening to me that you have called them to something that they're not doing. They're not serving the way that you've called them to serve. Lord, I pray today that they will put it at your feet. Lord, they will ask for forgiveness and they'll say, Lord, I'm ready. I will go. I will be the one. You've called me. I'm ready. Lord, you've been preparing them. Now let's send them out. Lord, maybe there's one that doesn't know you. Today, I pray that they would come to know you. Lord, that they would ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, that they would believe on your finished work on the cross, how you died for them and overcame death and rose again. And Lord, that you were the perfect sacrifice, that we don't have to die. All we have to do is make you Lord of our life. We have to admit where it's sin. We have to believe on your finished work on the cross. And we have to confess you before men and follow after you. Lord, right now, I pray that they will do that. Lord, we thank you for all your many blessings and all that you do for this ministry. We give you all the honor and glory. It's in your name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.